0: Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed the message. tell you that there was a 100% chance that every marriage in this room could make it. There's a 100% chance that every marriage in this room could make it. That's a serious claim, but the Bible actually does make that claim, and it tells us exactly how to do it, and we'll dig into that in just a minute. But I know immediately there's people in this room that maybe you are in a failed uh, relationship or your marriage failed, you faced divorce, or maybe uh, you're here and you're single and you're like, what does this have to do with me? Hopefully, if you're single, this is going to give you a vision of some things. That could be, if you've gone through some things, the Bible actually says that God hates divorce. God acts, he hates it. And whenever it says that God hates something, it's not because in some way our relationship failing hurts him. He hates how it hurts us. He hates to see people hurt. He loves his children. He hates to see his people wounded and hurting. And if you've been through a divorce, you would probably be the first to say it was one of the most painful, if not the most painful, experience of your life. And you would be right there with God being like, I hate divorce. Divorce is terrible. Not only what it does to you, your own heart, your own emotional, mental well-being, but what it does to even your children as well. And so, what we have to do as we begin this series, as we start it off, because there's so much baggage that we bring into this idea of relationships, the spirit of the series, the the heart behind the series, needs to be from this point forward. That's the language. That's the language we all need to adopt from today forward. We can't do anything about yesterday. We can't do anything about the past. There, There is no, you know, magic potion that we can somehow ascribe to there's nothing we can do about that but what we can do is we can make an agreement to say from this day forward we can roll up our sleeves over the next few weeks together we can make the decision together i'm going to jump into it with you we're going to invite the holy spirit into this thing with us and we're going to believe not for a perfect future but a more purposed future when it comes to our marriages and our relationships that sound good uh, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, and uh, this is a, a story about 10 young women, or the Bible says 10 virgins, uh, but 10 young women, and uh, they're, they're planning for this monumental day in their life, their wedding day is finally here. Since they were little girls, like most do, they've dreamed about this moment, they've they've anticipated they've they've had their little barbie dolls and they've said the vows to one another they've they've dreamed about their prince charming they've dreamed about this knight in shining armor that would show up and finally is he's here the day is here their pinterest account and all of the way that they wanted things now is fulfilled they've Got the perfect church. Everything is set. The perfect dress. They haven't eaten for 27 days so they can fit into the dress. Their day is finally, finally here. And so let's start reading in verse number one. If you want to look at the screens, you can. Uh, Verse number one. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Notice this is about the kingdom of heaven. This is about the kingdom of heaven. So, so there's going to be a dual meaning in what we're about to read. This is a parable, which is a story with a hidden, hidden meaning. So what we're seeing here is this is about the kingdom of heaven. So when God wants to teach us about his kingdom, he'll use things that we can grab a hold of and look to in our everyday life. And one of the most dominant images that God uses to help us understand the kingdom of God is marriage, weddings, weddings. Brides, this is the bride of Christ, the groom. So he uses his image and he says, "Listen, if you if you if you want to understand the kingdom of God, you have to understand marriage. You have to understand how that works, or you're going to miss a lot of things about the kingdom of God if you don't understand marriage." And so let's keep reading here, just knowing that this is about something larger. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. So fifty percent of them, we're going to see in just a minute, succeeded, and. 50% fail. Doesn't that sound like marriages in America? Right? Isn't that about the stat? About, we have about a 50-50 chance. You roll the dice, you have a 50-50 chance of making it. Those aren't the best odds in the world, right? But the Bible here says that's not new to us. That's, it's always been that way. There's people that go into it foolish, and there's people that go into it wise. And can I just even go a little bit further? What the Bible is really saying is it's not a 50-50 chance. It's a 100% chance if you go at it like the five foolish ones, you fail. And on the flip side, there is a 100% chance if you go at it like the five wise young girls, you succeed. So let's check it out. I can tell you're with me here. But the foolish ones did not take their lamps and did not, or took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. That's where I got my, my sermon title from, WD-40 marriage, right? You gotta, they didn't take any oil with them. Let's keep going here. Verse four, the wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps, The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Notice that the wise and the unwise both became weary in the relationship. So if you're weary, that does not mean that you're not wise. The bridegroom was a long time coming. They became drowsy and fell asleep. Both the wise and the unwise And midnight cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out. And meet him. The day is here. The day you've been waiting for is here. And then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. This is where it breaks down right here. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Notice the very first thing that the foolish ones do. They believe that someone else is their source. They believe that someone else has what they need. Let's keep reading. So they said, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. In verse 9, no, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut this happens in so many relationships and what happens in this story no oil they believe somebody else was their source and look what happens the door of this dream that had been in their heart since they were little girls this is not just referring to girls it's referring to all of us we have a dream in our heart and now the door of that dream has been shut and later the others also came lord lord they said open the door for us but notice what happens Tell me if this doesn't happen in most relationships. He replied, I tell you, I don't even know you. Maybe living in the same house, living in the same space, but I don't even know you. Roommates, but we've lost that connection. We've lost that that connection. And Jesus said, listen, without oil, the marriage will break down. Now we know again that this is about something greater than oil. It says this is about the kingdom of God. This is about something greater than oil. The oil is trying to teach us something. The oil is trying to show us something. The oil is is trying to first teach us something about, yes, our relationship with God, but it's also trying to teach us something about our relationship with God That we need to know. So important that Jesus says 100% of the time, if you don't get what the oil is trying to say, you will not make it. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to say in this story, if you don't understand the oil, you're not going to make it. But if you do, you can succeed. Now, what's the oil? The oil in scripture is symbolic of the Holy Spirit symbolic, but maybe you've heard the word anointing before. The word anointing is the Greek word that means to rub in or to smear, and it's specifically speaking of oil. If you can imagine this, this is where that word comes from, that the ancient shepherds in Israel would take oil and they would smear it and rub it into the head of the sheep to protect it from insects without the oil being rubbed on and smeared on the head of the sheep, those insects would eat their way through the ear canal of the sheep into the brain and the sheep to get rid of the pain and the headache would hit its head on trees and rocks as it was losing its mind and ultimately die. And so the picture here that we're getting of oil or the anointing is this picture of something that can be added to our life, rubbed into, smeared into, put on us or put in us, come alongside of us. We're going into a world where, where we don't have maybe the things that we need to protect us, but God can give us something that can protect us just like that sheep has the oil. God can give us something that can protect us from the things that want to destroy Our minds, our hearts, our thinking, our thoughts, and our relationships. So that's the image that we have here. To go a little bit further, just to maybe help you understand this a little bit more, Paul backs up what Jesus says about this in Ephesians chapter 5, probably the most famous chapter on marriage. You can read it there. And he begins by saying, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the oil. You have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes into the following verses, the role of a marriage. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul backs up what Jesus is saying, and he says, hey, listen, don't live as the unwise, live as the wise. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the oil, and you can have a healthy marriage. And then it breaks down the roles. Don't go into the roles if you don't first make sure you're full of the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's make sure that we understand not just what the oil is, but what the oil cost. It's very important you understand that this is not something we should be taking lightly. We know that, for example, that oil is the source. It's not, it's, it's, it comes from, it's, it's, it's the product. It's not the source, right? The oil is the event. Let me say it like this, no olive, no oil, Right, so, and no olive tree, no olives. So the olive tree, they say, takes seven years, once it's planted, to grow. And after seven years, it will produce its first harvest. This is not a usable harvest because it's too immature. So then you have to wait another seven years, 14 years, before you finally have a usable harvest from the olive tree. Can we all agree here, it takes a long time to mature before you're actually having something about you that's going to be usable. Then if the olive tree gets to this place, if it, if it gets here, then then it can produce a harvest every other year for up to 200 years, two centuries, and the olive tree lives to be over a thousand years old. So this is a significant thing we're, we're beginning to uncover and look at Now they say that every olive tree is is susceptible to to olive fail or oil fail. This is found in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17. And what happens is whether it's locusts that come and destroy the harvest or a violent wind that hits in a sensitive season, you can have the harvest come to maturity, but outside forces destroy it. And that's what they call oil fell. But if the tree gets through the years that it has to get through, if it gets through all of the outside things trying to attack it, and finally it produces a harvest that's mature, they then take sticks and they beat The limbs of the tree, they hit the limbs of the tree over and over so violently that it hinders the tree the following year from producing a harvest. And they strike the tree, the mature olives let go of the limb, and then they grab the olives and they put them in a vessel. And in biblical times, they would then step and stomp and crush the olives olives. And as they crushed the olives over time, they would each begin to let go of what we would call oil. I want you to catch that there's a significant price that's paid for the oil. I want you to catch that the olive is crushed and beaten in order to pay the price for the oil. And in the same way that the olive has to pay the price for the oil, so Jesus, we also know, had to be crushed and beaten to provide for us the Holy Spirit so we can receive the Holy Spirit. Let's recall for just a minute what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the oil. Jesus began, we know, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Believe it or not, Gethsemane means olive press. That's what it actually means. So we're starting to get a sense of what the scripture's saying here. He then is arrested. They take him to a whipping post. They take the cat of nine tails, a violent whip filled with jagged bone and glass, and they strike him 39 times, ripping his flesh from his back. He then is forced to carry the cross, ultimately collapsing under the weight of our sin as they mock him and they beat him. He eventually makes it up Golgotha's hill. They hang him there. He then is crushed under the weight of our failure as he's nailed, as he's stabbed, as he's beaten on that cross. We're beginning to see as he lifts up his voice and says, it is finished. The price has been paid in full. What we're beginning to see is this. This is what's happening, that Jesus is there with every wound and every strike and every blow and every piercing. Through his blood, he is purchasing, he is buying for us the precious oil of heaven. And it's that oil that the Bible says is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's that oil that you have to have to make it the long call in your relationship. That's the oil that keeps the door of our heart open. That's the oil that whatever we're facing, we can say, I know that it's hard, it's difficult, it's painful, but I can have a 100% success rate because it's not just me and it's not just me and my spouse, there's a third party involved in this and as committed as I am or as committed as she is or they are, he's as committed, if not more committed and he gives me his power, he gives me his anointing, that's his strength, that's his comfort, that's his ability that's smeared into us us that's that's rubbed into us so we can be what we cannot be on our own through him that's the oil now in the same way that the shepherd has to rub the oil in the head of the sheep so we need the great shepherd Jesus to rub the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives and our minds when it comes to marriage why Jesus said without the oil you'll fail Without the oil, you'll fail. You say, well, okay, I'm oilless. I get what you're saying. Or how do I know if I'm oilless? How do I know if I don't have the oil? Well, the Bible tells us number one, it says that you believe other people are your source. So if you want to mess any relationship up, actually believe that the other person is designed somehow to be fulfilling to you. Can I just help you? No human being has been designed to actually be fulfilling to you. No human being. And if you believe that, you're oilless. If you believe, let let me tell you what you're doing. You're putting the power into someone else's hands to complete you. And as long as you do that, you're going to be limited, you're going to be lacking, and you're going to be looking around and you're going to be saying, but if they would have and they should have, and if she just would, and they don't get it, and, blah, and you're going to go into that, and what's going to happen is the power for you to get what you need out of life is going to be in their hands. It's oilless. Then, Then the Bible actually says that, that the door is shut. That's that's oil-less if the door of your heart has been shut. This happens in homes all the time, happens in relationships all the time. We're just afraid. We put ourselves out there. So much rejection, so much pushback, so much hurt, so much pain. We just shut the door of our heart. It's easier just to go through the motions. It's easier just to keep it closed. That's, that's an oilless relationship. And what's the, what's the Bible say? that They begin to even say things like, I don't even know who you are in the same space, but they don't even know the other person. That's oil. Let's let's look at it. Maybe this could be an analogy for, for what's happening in our world on a on a grand scale. Did you know that there's 17.5 million people on eHarmony? That there's 24.5 million people on Match.com? They spend two billion dollars a year uh, in this dating online dating world, and you say, well, I'm, on, I'm online dating. Is that wrong? I'm not saying that that's wrong. You meet people where you want to meet them. But this is the myth that they sell. This is a myth, and this is, a, is 100% what they target. That there is the perfect listen, the perfectly compatible soulmate out there for you. Mm-hmm. I feel you. I feel you. Just making sure it's not Sarah over there, because it'll be all right. And, and this is the myth the myth is that there's somebody out there that doesn't want to change you, and, and there's someone out there you don't have to change. And there's somebody out there, they'll accept you just as you are, and you're going to accept them just as they are, and you're perfectly compatible. That's the myth. Can I tell you the truth? You'll always marry the wrong person. Every time. Always. Every time. There isn't such thing. You want to know Why? Because everybody brings issues into the relationship. And you know what the issues do? The issues create friction. The issues create heat. The issues create movement. Like an engine, right? An engine's created to move, to have friction, to have heat without oil to absorb the friction, what happens? The the engine breaks down. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, listen, you have to have oil in your relationship. Oil fail is when we don't have the things in there. And what what is that whole myth trying to sell you? It's trying to sell you a lie that there's such thing as a frictionless relationship, that there's somebody out there that it'll be so easy, so perfect, so together that they're going to have the hobbies that you have, the chemistry is going to be perfect, your personality are going to line up just right. The stars are just going to align, and the devil has a heyday with us, getting in our head, feeding us these lies, that there is such thing as a relationship that doesn't need the oil. But Jesus said, "Hey, listen, you can live there if you want, but 100 percent of the time, you think that that's the way that it works. You're living in a fairy tale land and you'll fail. But if you'll say, no matter what the chemistry is, right? The Bible doesn't say that the wise ones had more chemistry with the groomsmen. It didn't say that they had the same hobbies as the groomsmen. It didn't say that they answered the 400 questions just perfectly to the percentage lined us up and put us together scientifically. It didn't say any of that. No, it just says they had the oil. They had the oil. They had something that was a power that they didn't possess in themselves that enabled them to actually make it Say, well, well, what happens if, if I'm in an oilless place? What, what, what happens if you feel like, man, I, we're there. The door of my heart's shut. I don't even feel like I know who the person is. What do I do? What do I do? Three things real quick and we're out of here. Number one, it tells us, don't look to people as your source. Don't look, let, let, me, let me tell you how this plays out. Maybe a way you could remember it. In your relationship, in your marriage, be a philanthropist. A philanthropist is somebody that gives significant amounts of money to charity, right? So let's say that you have a philanthropist over here and he writes a million dollar check to a charity. A million dollars. Now we know a couple things. We know first that the guy has to have a million dollars, Right, Which means that he has a significant income because he has expenses. So there's a significant income that's so great that he can actually save a million dollars. And not only save it, but have the ability to know what's coming in is so great, I can now give it. Right? But if that person wants to be a philanthropist, but they're living paycheck to paycheck. And they only have $50 a headroom after every check. We know that they're never going to get there no matter how much they want to give, no matter how much they desire to do something. They might be able to give 5 or $10, but they're never going to have that amount to give because they don't have that amount coming in. And so what happens when you look to your spouse as your source, they're writing a paycheck that's always going to be lacking. It's never going to be enough. It's going to maybe let you get by this week and the next week. Not, and you're going to always be broke emotionally because you look to them as your source. So the Bible teaches us, don't look to them as your source. You have to have the oil. You have to reach into another source that is so great that what it can add to your life Bring into your life is so significant that whether the spouse gives to you or not, you have an abundance from which you're receiving from another source to give. So if they're in a place where they're going through problems, they're sick, they're whatever's going on, they're hurt, they're working through the issues that they haven't got delivered from since their parents messed them up, whatever it is, you can keep giving because they're not the source. You have a greater source and you're receiving his love. You're receiving the greatness and the magnitude of his love. Now you have that to give. You can be A philanthropist, you can give great. And people would say, how can you give that much without expecting anything in return? It's because they're not my source. God's my source. And I have an abundance of what he provides for me. I'm able to give freely and liberally to my spouse. Or you can be foolish. You can keep your tally. Keep your tally. Your tally is, if they do this, then I do this. If they don't do this, then I don't do this. And you keep the tally going. And what happens over time, one person believes that they're giving more to the relationship than the other. The other's not giving. So what happens? They decide I'm going to pull back. I'm not going to be the fool. I'm not going to be the idiot. I'm not going to be the one that's getting taken advantage of. So I'm going to pull back and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to call it justice, but really it's revenge. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them to step it up. And if they want me to start giving back, they're going to start giving more. And the problem with that tally is... one person thinks their tally is here and the other person thinks their tally is here and both people don't feel like the other person is doing enough for them and the people think I'm doing all I can do and the relationship goes bankrupt because you actually think like the foolish ones that that person was designed by God to be your source, they're not. Can they add to your life? Can they supplement your life? Absolutely, but man, the meat and potatoes, man, that comes from God. The real substance comes from him. And when you have him, you have an abundance of strength to bring into your relationship. Number two. Number two, keep the door open. Don't let it close. Don't let it. You got to keep it open. Got to keep it open. I know it's scary. I, I, I get it. It's, it's frightening to open back up and they're just going to not be and they're not going to whatever. Keep the door of your heart open. WD40 this is where i kind of got my message title from i don't know if you know this but wd means water displacement and 40 actually represents the number of attempts that went in to the actual chemical that were combined to create what we know as wd40 and norm lawson who was the chemist that invented WD 40. He put the number 40 on there because he wanted people to know that he refused to give up. He wanted people to know that he refused to give up. And so every time we see it, he's saying to us the number 40 is not important. What you need to know is I made a decision no matter what. I was going to get what you hold in your hand. This this is going to be a reality. I knew I could get here. It was going to be a lot of failures, a, a lot of trying and it not working, but I wasn't going to quit. You know, because you know that the way it worked in his world is like it works in our world. Three, four times in, his friends were like, man, come on, Norm, let's go out to the bar. Give up on that stuff. You're wasting your time. Let's go hunting. Come on, you're wasting your time. What are you putting all that energy into some pipe dream for? And you know, at Ten, his wife and family members are probably there saying, come on, is this really something we want to do? This isn't creating anything. This is a big waste of time. I'm not seeing. Are you really sure? And he keeps on going. You know about time 20, 25, he's got to be saying, I'm a fool. I'm an idiot. This is never going to happen. But he keeps on trying and trying and trying and he refuses to get up, give up. And finally at time 40, the truth is this could be called WD 386. He just made it a point to say, I got it on the 40th try, but I wouldn't have stopped there. I would have kept on going, kept on trying. I wouldn't have quit along the way. So what do we do? The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. A righteous marriage might fall seven times, but you get back up. You keep on trying. You keep on pressing. You refuse to give up. You make the decision. I may not have what it takes to do this, but I'm not on my own. I've got the oil. And if I get the oil, it'll help me do what I cannot do, be what I cannot be, go through what I could not go through any other way. What's impossible with me is not impossible when you have the oil. Number three, and we're done, is do the unreasonable do the unreasonable do the unreasonable in the old testament there's two stories one in first kings 17 the other in second kings 4 and one is the prophet elijah the other is the prophet elisha and they're both dealing with home situations that are bleak they're hopeless matter of fact the report the, the report of the home is is very hopeless it's fatal They're they're about to die. And in both cases, there's instructions that the prophet gives the people in the home that if they obey it, if they obey what God's saying, the oil is going to start flowing. Now, notice the issue is different. We're talking about different generations, but the answer is the same it's the oil. How does the oil start flowing? When they obey what God has said to do. The third thing you have to do is you have to do the unreasonable. Whenever God is going to ask you to do something with your, it's never going to make sense. It's always going to be more than you could actually think up on your own. You're, you're, that's why, why Jesus, when he was kind of helping us understand relationships, he basically said, man, or, or I guess it was Paul who said, man, you're going to have to lay down your life like Christ did for the church if you're going to make it work. What's he saying? You're going to have to give way more. you have to do the unreasonable. Go ahead. No, this is what happened. This is what you signed up for. And it's going to take the wisdom of God and the wisdom of Scripture and the wisdom of what he says. But if you'll obey him, if both of you will obey him, the oil will keep flowing. You know, in the second story, what what the prophet said is he said, as long as you keep bringing empty vessels, that was the instruction. God says, as long as you bring an empty vessel, I'll fill it. I'll fill it. But what we do is we, we bring a vessel full of ego, full of pride full of hurt bitterness disappointment we've hardened our hearts we've shut the door we're done we're tired we're exhausted we've tried we've done our best we've given all we can and this is what we bring and as long as you're full of yourself the oil can't flow it can't flow you gotta empty yourself out Because if you don't and God tries to go pour in you the oil again there was a great price paid for the oil and God's spirit tries to get in there to that hurt tries to get in there to that pain tries to get in there to that No matter how much he tries to pour himself into us, self pushes him back out. No matter how much his agenda, how much his heart tries to get in, it just self keeps pushing him out. So he says, you gotta bring empty vessels. You gotta empty yourself out. You gotta empty that ego out. You've gotta empty... The pride out. And you've got to, like Paul, you've got to say, I know I need to be filled with the Spirit. You know what this is? Being filled with the Spirit is being filled with love, peace, joy, patience, goodness. Come on, Galatians chapter 5. Meekness, kindness. Oh, that's a hard one, kind. And as long as we bring empty vessels, he can keep pouring himself into us. See, being filled with the Spirit just simply means that I am allowing him to be rubbed in, to be smeared in, to allow. The way that I think about people and things to be so influenced, so ingrained, so entrenched by Him that it's intrinsic to who I am that the way He sees things is the way that I see things. That, that when I enter situations and circumstances, I'm just prone not to my ways, I'm prone to His ways because I'm full of Him. I'm full of His Spirit. I'm filled with the oil. And if you'll be filled with the Spirit, the Bible promises you can have a healthy marriage. If you stay full of yourself, it's a foolish thing because it's going to break down. It's going to break down. I wanted to begin this series with this thought because I knew that we would want to go week after week after week and build on some things that we talked about today there's a lot of practical things we need in our relationship and I told you start let's start fresh let's not bring the past in and I said we would get into this together we would fight through it together we're going to invite the Holy Spirit this is not something we're going to do in our flesh Right? No flesh shall glory in his presence. We need we need the oil. So all the work that we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, vow, whether you're single or divorced, it doesn't matter. The work that we're going to be doing, I'm going to have conversations with you as well. The work that we're going to be doing, we can't do it unless we begin by saying, God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill our marriage with the oil. We need you to be our source. We need you to help us keep the door of our heart open. We need you to make that connection once again because we don't want it to break down. In Jesus' name.